0: Let's see if we can find a few things in the Bible about the Son of God. Jesus, the Son of God. We'll go as far as we can today. This is not going to be complicated, although there will be a lot of verses. And I hope that you will find these verses to be food for your souls. The Bible says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And so by his spirit and by his word... You ought to be taught and encouraged about Jesus, the Son of God. I want to tell you about the Lordship of Jesus Christ introduced because the subject itself would be a long series and exalted by the scriptures. Can you answer this question? This question was asked of the Pharisees by the Lord Jesus Christ. What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? they say unto him, the son of David, the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one of God is the son of David. Jesus then said unto them, how then doth David in spirit, meaning inspired scripture of Psalm 110, call him Lord. Right. Amen. You learned this with me in Matthew chapter 22. And so we're remembering some things, some simple things that we've been taught before, but we want to pull them together about the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you answer this question? He asked his disciples this time, But whom say ye that I am? Because they had told Jesus the several ideas that men had about the identity of Jesus of Nazareth. And so he asked them, Whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter boldly answered and said, Thou art the Christ the Son of the living God, in Matthew chapter 16. And Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church. And so we have a church built, and let's keep our church built, and let's not add wood, hay, or stubble to what it's been built on, That's sure foundation that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Are you as committed as Peter, Jesus said unto the twelve, when a great multitude had left him in John chapter 6, Will ye go away also? Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe, and we are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen. Amen. That is what we want to keep preeminent in our church at all times. Yes. And we would do that by keeping it preeminent in our families, in our marriages, and in our own souls. Amen. Think backward of some recent sermons with me. Jesus crowned with glory and honor from Hebrews 2 last Sunday. Jesus named above all the angels last Sunday. Jesus highly exalted for his crucifixion the previous Sunday from Philippians chapter 2. Remember, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name. Jews punished for neglecting the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 22, 7. He burned up their city. God saved by Jesus for total glory. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom, sanctification, and redemption. Jesus is the yea and the amen of all of God's promises because he puts them into force. Amen. The ninefold record of the Son of God that I preached in July from 1 John chapter 5, verses 1-21. through 21. Do you remember? There were three witnesses on earth, three in heaven, and there remain three on earth. There's nine. And they all testify of one thing. They testify the witness and record that God has given of his Son, and we believe the witness of men, but the witness of God is greater. And if we do not believe his witness, we make God a liar. Right. That's how serious the matter is of Jesus, the Son of God. Let us never forget, the Father loveth the Son. Our youth and children are learning the Gospel of John in order to be able to participate in a Bible quiz league. So in John chapter 3, which they've already had, they learned this verse. The Father loveth the Son and hath given all things into his hand. Jesus rules the universe. Amen. Jesus, our Savior. Jesus, the Prince and Savior. Jesus, the Horn of Salvation in the house of David rules the universe because God's put the universe into his hand. Let us never forget the Father loveth the Son Amen. for the Father judgeth no man but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. It's Jesus that is coming back. It's the great white throne of the Lord Jesus Christ. We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ because all judgment has been put into His hand. Now notice, the Father loveth the Son and has put all judgment into the Son's hand that all men should honor the Son. That all men should honor the Son. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father because God the Father loveth the Son and God the Father hath committed all judgment to his Son. Even as they honor the Father, follow with me. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. Let us make sure our church always keeps Jesus Christ preeminent and that we always honor him and thereby God Himself derives honor from our worship because we focus it on His Son, whom He has given all judgment. Right. How did God reward and honor Jesus for dying? This is Philippians 2, 9-11. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted Him for dying for us, and given Him a name, He gave Him a name which is above every name, That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We love these verses. I want you to love these verses, and I want you most of all to love the object of these verses, to love the subject of these verses, to love the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Is the name Jesus above the name Jehovah? Some of these things are review. No, it is not above the name Jehovah. The Bible wants us to remember this. For he hath put all things under his feet. This is Jesus, this is God. God hath put all things under Jesus' feet. But when he, God, saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he, God, is accepted, which did put all things under him, that God might be all in all, As is what verse 28 goes on to say. So I hope you understand that. There sh- I shouldn't need to take any more time than that. I am that I am is the infinite origin of everything in the universe and is the special memorial name of Almighty God. What name does Jesus have above all names? Jesus was a common name in Israel. It was the same name as Moses' successor, Joshua. What name or titular name? Son. Son. That's our subject for today. Jesus, the Son of God. What name does Jesus have above all names? The Son of God. Being made, this is from Hebrews 1, 4, and we will be there again. Being made by being exalted and promoted in heaven. Being made so much better than the angels as he hath by inheritance, not by Joseph and Mary, but by inheritance, obtained a more excellent name than they, That's not Joseph and Mary, that's the angels. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. That is the exalted title and titular name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God. We know thee who thou art. Thou art the Holy One of God. Peter would say, we know thee that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Believe God's witness or make him a liar. This is what we learn in 1 John chapter 5. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. We don't overcome the world on November 3rd. We don't overcome the world by listening to Rush Limbaugh. We don't do a thing about the world in either of those two cases. Your faith is what overcomes the world, and it's a particular faith who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? Amen That is the faith that overcomes the world. Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ, the Son of the Living God, just like Peter declared. So we go to verse six, "This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, meaning his baptism, but by water and blood, His crucifixion, His baptism. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. So there are three witnesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh and is the Son of God. Then, in verse 7, there are three that bear record in heaven the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Three more witnesses in heaven. And there are three that bear witness in earth the Spirit, which is what we've prayed for several times this morning from several different men that would bless the preaching of God's Word, the Spirit, and the water, which is our baptism where we declare our allegiance to Jesus Christ, and the blood, which is the Lord's Supper that we kept last Sunday, testifying of the Lord Jesus Christ, and these three agree in one, so there are three more. Three plus three plus three equals nine witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ being the Son of God. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. You believe ridiculous things that you cannot prove. As I have said before on this particular point, the names of the three boats that Columbus used to come to America. Was it the Santa Maria? And the Nina? And the Pinta? Or something like that? How do you know? I thought he came on the Titanic. Can you prove me wrong? If we receive the witness of men, there are so many things that we believe about the witness of men. Like wearing masks. There are so many things that we believe. The witness of God is greater, for this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son, and it is ninefold. Ninefold. And these last three that are in the earth have been here for 2,000 years and they have been maintained. And every time we have the Lord's Supper it ought to thrill your soul that we are in line with the saints before us declaring that Jesus is the Son of God. Amen. Continuing in 1 John 5, He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. If you truly believe on Jesus Christ as the Son of God, you have been born again and the personal presence of God by His Spirit is inside you. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. If you do not believe what we are covering today about Jesus Christ of Nazareth, then you're making God a liar. Beware and woe to you. All the way to verse 20. And we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son Jesus Christ This is the true God and eternal life. Let's start with a few names and facts. Jesus equals Joshua. Jesus is Joshua. Joshua is the Hebrew name, translated into English, in your Old Testaments for Moses' successor. That's the name that was given to Jesus by Joseph and Mary according to the direction of Gabriel the angel. And this name, Jesus, which is Joshua means Jehovah is salvation. Mm-hmm. Jesus of Nazareth is identified by his hometown because there were so many Jesuses or Joshuas in Israel. So it's Jesus of Nazareth, not Jesus of Capernaum, not Jesus of Bethsaida, Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth equals a Nazarene. You're a Nazarene if you were a citizen of the little town of Nazareth. It has nothing to do with being a Nazarite. Right. A Nazarite or vows that a man could take to please God and to give God something extra special from Numbers chapter 6 has nothing to do with being a Nazarene or from Nazareth. Never be confused about those things. Anointed equals Christ. Now in Psalm 2, 2 Psalm 22 against the Lord and against His anointed. Right. But when it's quoted here, It's against the Lord and against his Christ. Oh, isn't it precious to have a Bible that you can trust like that? To define words for you by comparing internally. And it does the same thing right here. Anoint the most holy. And then he calls that most holy Messiah. Because Messiah equals Christ. As these two places tell us. And Lord equals governor or ruler. Son of God equals his miraculous conception in a virgin because he didn't have an earthly father, but God was his father, and so we beheld him, the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one of God, who is our Lord and our Savior. We deny the eternal sonship heresy of origin. Origin. Back in the second century, beware lest any man, we don't care who the man might be or how many there might be, spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. After the tradition of men, we do not care about Gnosticism or the worship of Greek wisdom, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. We only want to believe the revelation that God has given of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for in Jesus Christ dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus Christ was not a begotten God. Jesus Christ was not a lesser God. Jesus Christ was not a God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. This is the one begotten of the Father because it's the Lord Jesus Christ who had a body, but He had all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. We affirm the incarnate sonship truth of Isaiah. Incarnate sonship means that God had a son when Mary had a baby. Mary named her baby Jesus, and Jesus is the Son of God. What is the faith that overcomes the world? Jesus is the Son of God. The whole sonship doctrine can be summarized in that one little sentence. Jesus is the Son of God. Before Jesus, there is no Son of God. There is no Jesus in 6 B.C., Jesus was born of Mary. Jesus is the Son of God. We affirm the incarnate sonship truth of Isaiah. The Lord himself shall give you a sign. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Remember back here, the fullness of the Godhead bodily was in Jesus Christ. He's going to be called Emmanuel because Emmanuel means God with us. So it's the fullness of the Godhead in a body conceived and birthed by a virgin. That is the sonship according to Isaiah. We affirm the incarnate sonship of Luke. And the angel answered and said unto her, this is Gabriel explaining to Mary how she is going to have a baby, have a son when she's never known a man. She's never had sexual relationships with a man. The angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. The power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, as a result of that divine power upon your body, that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And that's where Jesus, the Son of God, came from. That is the incarnate sonship as given to us by Luke. We affirm the incarnate sonship of John. And the Word, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That Word. The Word was made flesh. That means He took on a body. The fullness of the Godhead was in a body, dwelt among us. We beheld Him. We beheld His glory. We could see Him. He was visible. 1 John chapter 1 says we could touch Him. We could handle Him. And He had the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. This is the only one in the universe that it was begotten of the Father this way. The only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. And so we affirm what John says about Jesus, the Son of God. We affirm the incarnate sonship of Paul. Remember, we have denied the eternal sonship. The eternal sonship is that the divine nature of Jesus Christ was eternally generated in eternity past, so that he is a begotten God in his deity. We deny that. We affirm that there's going to be a virgin, and there were no virgins before Genesis 1. It's a function of time. Right. And the power of the highest is going to co- come upon her, and she's going to give birth to a holy thing. And he was made flesh. It's after Genesis 1. And so we come to Galatians 4, and here's Paul's doctrine When the fullness of the time was come. It's a matter of time, not a matter of eternity. When the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son. His Son was made of a woman. The Son of God was made of a woman. These things we believe about Jesus, the Son of God. If we get confused about these things, we then are imbibing the doctrine of the Antichrist the Antichrist that attacked the identity of Jesus Christ in the, t- the days of the apostles and continues to do so. We absolutely reject eternal sonship. The four scriptures that I just gave you are plain proof against the invention of Gnostic origin. God is eternal, and the Word as God is eternal, but Jesus was born in time. Right. Jesus is the Son of God. That is such an important statement. Amen. The Word of God is not the Son without His body. The Word of God has to be made flesh in order to be the Son. Jesus is the Son of God. Never forget that. Jesus had a beginning. Jesus had a birth date. It's as clear as day in the Bible. Jesus is Son of the Eternal God, but not the Eternal Son of God. Amen. Let me say that again. Listen carefully. Read it carefully with me. Jesus is Son of the Eternal God, but not the Eternal Son of God. Who said that? Michael Servetus being led to the stake for the sonship doctrine of Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, thou son of the eternal God, have mercy on me. Calvin's chaplain said, if he had just moved that adjective to Lord Jesus, thou eternal son of God, have mercy on me, he might have been saved from the flame. Michael Servetus didn't want to be saved from the flame. Let us hold fast the doctrine of Jesus Christ's sonship even against reformers. Begetting and generation is an event of time and so it's impossible in eternity. The corruption of scripture, like in Proverbs 8, which is a personification of wisdom as a lady, as a woman, read anyone that holds to eternal sonship, they turn that into Jesus being God's little boy playing ball in the front yard in eternity. Read it. All it is is a personification of wisdom. Every pronoun in the chapter is feminine because their Christ is effeminate. He's not really God. He's a begotten God. To declare the divine nature of Jesus has begotten is blasphemous heresy. Our Lord Jesus Christ is unbegotten God. He's the word of God. In the beginning was the Word. This is the third time. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is not a begotten God, no matter what the New World Translation of the Jehovah's Witnesses or the New American Standard Bible say in John 1.18. If you have friends or relatives that use the New American Standard Bible, one of the special places you can take them is to John 1.18, where it says that Jesus is a begotten God. Jesus is the word of God and he was not begotten God. He is God. If eternal sonship and generation is true, then who is his eternal mother? Because Jesus was made of a woman. The son of God was made of a woman. Who's his mother in eternity? Because eternal sonship is heresy. The greatest revelation to man, Jesus of Nazareth was the son of God by his incarnation and is more so by his coronation. The word coronation is not in the Bible, but the word he was crowned with glory and honor is in the Bible. Amen. Hebrews 2, 6-9. The one and only savior of sinners is the Lord Jesus Christ who had a complete human nature to die a substitutionary death for God's elect. Complete human nature, not just a body. He had a human spirit. His human spirit went where? When he died on the cross. His human spirit went to heaven. Mm-hmm. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Right. He wasn't speaking as God, committing the Holy Spirit into God's hands. He was speaking as our mediator, the Son of Man, committing his human spirit. Right. For heresy and doctrine, against heresy and doctrine, the one gospel of the Bible identifies the proper sonship of Jesus and his present reign. We never want to forget, number one, the proper sonship of Jesus And his present reign. In a time of uncertainty like we face in our country right now, the one and true gospel declares that Jesus rules the universe perfectly forever. Let's start with Psalm 2. It is a glorious, oh glorious, messianic psalm prophesying about Jesus, the Son of God. Throughout its 12 verses, it is quoted, several times, more than three, in the New Testament. I've limited myself to several. You read one of them last evening in Acts chapter 4, didn't you? Let's start with Psalm 2. The nation's rage. It is one of the easiest psalms to divide because it's got 12 verses, and those 12 verses are broken into four parts of three verses each, very obviously. Psalm 2, 1. Why do the heathen rage? And the people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. There's almighty God Jehovah and there's the Lord Jesus Christ saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. The apostles quoted Psalm 2, what I just read to you in prayer. You read it last evening and being let go They went to their own company and reported all the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice. Is that singular or plural? Plural. Singular or plural? Singular. Because they were united in this matter. It came out of them like a choir singing the same words. To God with one accord, there it is, and said, Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth, and the sea, and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David, in Psalm 2, verses 1 and 2, has said, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? Why are the Gentiles and the Jews against you and your son? The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. Anointed one back in Psalm 2. The apostles quoted it in Psalm 1 in prayer in Acts chapter 4 the apostles quoted Psalm 2 in their prayer then the apostles applied it for of a truth in agreement with the truth of Psalm 2 and its prophecy against thy holy child Jesus do not resent those words we resent Baal Mass of the Catholics but don't resent those words because they're in the Bible twice. And they're by inspired apostles. Inspired apostles after the resurrection and glorification of Jesus. They still referred to him as the Holy Child Jesus because the Bible said, Thou art my son. Right. Amen. Thy Holy Child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed. There's the anointed one of God. Herod, Pontius Pilate, Gentiles, people of Israel were gathered together. And don't ever forget this for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. Yes, we believe in predestination because the Bible preaches, teaches, writes, records predestination for us. This is the greatest act of criminality. This is the greatest sin in the history of the world. And God had determined before that it was going to be done. And it was his hand and his counsel that determined for it to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants, the apostles, that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. Silver and gold have I none, but what have I, what, ha, what I have I give thee in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Stand up and walk. And he leaped up and walked Amen. and ran and jumped. The result was glorious. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. Things have not changed. Pagans around us in a crooked and perverse world and nation still conspire together against God and Bible Christianity. The more we hold the doctrine of Christ taught in the Bible, the more we live righteous lives and godly lives in Christ Jesus, the more of the persecution we'll see. Next section of Psalm 2. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Strong laughter, mocking laughter. Then shall he speak to them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. You can conspire all you want. You can gather together all you want. You can try to break my bands asunder all you want. I have still put my king upon my holy hill of Zion. This is a prophecy of what he would do in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ after he rose from the dead. God does laugh at the wicked and their plans. The wicked plotteth against the just and gnasheth upon him with his teeth. The Lord shall laugh at him, for he seeth that his day is coming. The wicked may get away with something for a short period of time but the Lord laughs at them. The wicked have drawn out the sword and have bent their bow to cast down the poor and needy and to slay such as be of upright conversation. Their sword shall enter into their own heart and their bows shall be broken. That's because the Lord sees what is coming so he laughs at them. God does laugh at the wicked and their plans. This is Eric a couple of weeks ago from Psalm 59. Behold, the wicked belch out with their mouth, swords are in their lips. For who say they doth hear? But thou, O Lord, shall laugh at them. Thou shalt have all the heathen in derision. This isn't preached very much anymore, but it's what the Bible says. If the Bible says it, we believe it. We're simple Bible Christians. Because of his strength will I wait upon thee, for God is my defense. The God of my mercy shall prevent me. God shall let me see my desire upon mine enemies. And he did that with the Lord Jesus, and he's going to do with each of us. Remember God mocking Sennacherib and mighty Assyria? Do you remember how he did it? Isaiah's got a letter laid out before the Lord. Then Isaiah, the son of Hezekiah, has a letter laid out before the Lord, and Isaiah comes to him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Whereas thou hast prayed for me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria, the Lord of the earth, at that time, this is the word which the Lord hath spoken concerning him, The virgin, the daughter of Zion, hath despised thee and laughed thee to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem hath shaken her head at thee. It does not matter who wins the election in November. It does not matter who's inaugurated in January. This is what matters. God rules. Jehovah reigns. Jesus is Lord of the universe. And they laugh and mock their enemies. Lady Wisdom in Proverbs 1, because there's a reason for it. I have called and ye refused. I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. Ye have said it not all my counsel with none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you. I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock because I taught, I begged, I warned, I offered, and you didn't take my wisdom. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming in flaming fire with his mighty angels. Mm -hmm. But we will admire him in that day if we have regarded his reproof and obeyed his wisdom. If we have not, we will be destroyed from the presence of the Lord. Mm -hmm. God vexed the Jews in 70 AD. Didn't it say that back there in Psalm 2? He'll laugh at them and have them in derision and vexed them. God vexed the Jews in 70 A.D. We went, we went over this verse recently, I've already referred to it once. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, that is God, and he sent forth his armies, those of the Roman armies under Vespasian at first, and then his son Titus, and destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. God vexed the Jews in 70 A.D. God vexed the Romans in 476 A.D. with the Visigoths, by destroying their beast or their empire. And I saw one of its heads as it were wounded to death and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world wondered after the beast because the pagan beast or the pagan empire or the pagan kingdom became the papal beast or the papal empire or the papal kingdom. God vexed the Roman Catholic church. Don't You're not going to get much on it right now. 1798. What happened in 1798? Here are the ten nations of Europe. And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore. There's the Roman Catholic Church. And shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. I hope you're able to understand that that is a bunch of symbolic language. God vexed the Roman Catholic Church in 1798 when Napoleon, understanding the the subversive effort of the Vatican against his desire to rule Europe, sent his general Berthier into Rome and took the Pope captive and hauled him back to France and put him in prison where he died. 1788. Is there an event in 538? Yes, there is. It's called the decree of Justinian, who declared that the Popes left in Rome and the bishops there had had... superiority, and reign over the Catholic Church. You say, what's 1870? Well, it's a whole other one. It's a whole another 1260 years. What happened in 1870? Garibaldi led the Italian armies into Rome and forced every loyal person to the Pope back inside the Vatican. And for 60 years, a Pope never touched a sidewalk outside the walls of that little tiny place. He never stood on St. Peter's balcony for 60 years because a civil power had taken away his civil power. Okay, why did, I, why did I want to tell you about that? Because it says he will vex them in his sore displeasure, all that unite against his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. God made Jesus king of his kingdom. Amen. Because we have it right here. This is what we're looking at right at the moment. Verse 6, verses 1 through 5 have been in the third person. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. But all of a sudden it becomes first person with Jehovah God our Father and the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ speaking. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Amen. God made Jesus. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. This is Isaiah 9. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful. These are names of the Lord Jesus Christ, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end until he controls and rules the universe, finally, formally, and officially. Upon the throne of David, Jesus, the Son of David, sits on the throne of David, and upon David's kingdom, to order it, and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever. This is our king. I present to you our king, Jesus the son of David, on the throne of David, with the kingdom of David. And that kingdom's population is made up of 99% Gentiles, as Acts chapter 15 describes. And how's this all going to happen? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts, will perform this. Who made Jesus a prince and a savior in Acts chapter 5? The right hand of God. God by his right hand hath made Jesus a prince and a savior. Jesus, the son of David, rules the kingdom of God. The angel Gabriel, this is back in Luke. We were there at a different verse just a few minutes ago. The angel Gabriel said unto Mary, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God, and behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb Bring forth a son and call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. All the Bible comes together around the Lord Jesus Christ. He is still being called the son of Jesse and the son of David in the last chapter of Revelation, which is the last book in your Bible. And he shall reign Jesus shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Amen. Praise the Lord. Jesus, the son of David, rules the kingdom of God. And the, this is Revelation 17. The ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings of Europe, which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. These have one mind. They're all in agreement. will give their power and strength unto the beast. The papal Roman Empire. These shall make war with the Lamb. Uh Uh-oh. These shall make war with the Lamb. Do you know they made war with the saints and overcame them? But not the Lamb. These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them. For He, our Jesus, is Lord of lords and King of kings. And they that are with Him are called and chosen and faithful. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Jesus, the son of David, rules the kingdom of God. I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. That's our leader and commander. His eyes were as a flame of fire. Thank you, Jonah, for your prayer this morning. And on his head were many crowns. Crown him with many crowns, the Lamb upon his throne. And he had a name written, that no man knew but he himself. And he hath on his vesture, and on his thigh a name written, King of kings, and Lord of lords. And the emphasis is not mine, the emphasis is the Lord's. He put it in all caps. God gave Jesus a throne on Mount Zion, the place of Jerusalem's fortress. Yet have I set my king? Upon my holy hill of Zion. Jesus, the son of David, rules in Mount Zion. Let's start and find out what Zion is. 2 Samuel 5. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion. It was a fortress, the same as the city of David. It's part of Jerusalem. So David dwelt in the fort and called it the city of David. And his son would be there. Psalm 110. The Lord said unto my Lord, This is God, Jehovah. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the difference in capitalization. Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord, Jehovah, shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Because that's where Jesus was ruling. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. There is a Jerusalem which is above that has a holy hill of Zion. John 12. On the next day, much people that were come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna. Salvation, let it be. Hosanna. Salvation, let it come. Blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Right. Psalm 2:6. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon as it is written... Fear not, daughter of Zion, thy king cometh sitting on an ass's cold. You say, these are a lot of verses. Yeah, I, can't, I can't take care of your soul except to do this. I'm going to give you verses because I'm supposed to preach the word. Every one of these verses light me up. I could stop on any one of them, lay everything down, and pace back and forth up here and tear your ears up for five to ten minutes on any one of them. But then I'd only be able to cover 10. I have my reasons for this little clicker. I want to give you as many as I can. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. There it is, all the way through the Bible. Hebrews 12, But ye are coming to Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, and to Jesus. Oh, yes. Revelation 14. And I looked, and lo, a lamb. Jerry, who do you think that is? Is it the lion of the tribe of Judah? A lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him 144,000. These are the Jehovah's Witnesses' elite group, having his father's name written in their foreheads. The 144,000 of the Jewish converts that were first converted by the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you were to read Revelation chapter 7, Revelation chapter 14, you would find that 12,000, a symbolic number of each of the 12 tribes, was sealed with, with their father's name in his forehead. These are the elect of God among the Jews that were the first fruits of God and to the Lamb. And if you read the next five verses, you'll find that out to be very simple. Then the next verse says, then I saw a great multitude that no man could number. See, the Jews were numbered because it was pretty small, 144,000. But then the everlasting gospel went into the whole world, Revelation 14, after the first five verses, and there's a great multitude that no man could number. But that's not why we're here right now. Why are we here right now at this verse? Why are we here right now at this verse? Because there's a lamb that stood on Mount Zion and had 144,000 typical, symbolic, converted Jews and a great multitude that no man could number in his nation. We absolutely rejected a third kingdom. God promised to set up his kingdom during the Roman Empire. Chris, do you still believe that verse? I know you like it. Am I right? A future millennial kingdom is earth, in earthly Jerusalem is a Jewish fable and lie. John the Baptist and Jesus taught the kingdom at hand 2,000 years ago. The Council of Jerusalem ruled that the kingdom was being built by Gentiles 2,000 years ago. Men were pressing into the kingdom 2,000 years ago during the ministry of Jesus Christ. Paul applied Haggai's prophecy of that kingdom then pre- to a kingdom then present. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are one kingdom and the same, gospel kingdom. The Bible in both Testaments says the kingdom was taken from the Jews and given to Gentiles with the ministry of the apostles. C.I. Schofield and dispensationalism depend on a legion. That is an appropriate word right. of Bible corruptions. God has totally ended any separate dealings between Jew and Gentiles for the 144,000 the multitude that no man could number are together in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. If you need more about Jesus as King, we have a few sources, and that's just three of them.